I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Two. Um, verse six, guys, is kind of a gateway into the real heart of the book. Uh, this, this little phrase or a couple of words, you're turning away to a different gospel. Ooh. That, ladies and gentlemen, is huge. Um, Did you know that there's a different gospel? Did you know that? And Paul's fighting it, and very frankly, verse verse 6 are, them's fighting words. Um, Paul is, um, Paul has flipped out a gauntlet to those who are proponents of that different gospel. You know, guys, um, first of all, let me just tell you this. We're going to go very slow, <laughs> which is nothing new, I guess, but slower. We're going to go slower. I, I have, I, I, I'm tempted to spend three, maybe four weeks just on verse six. Um, because, ladies and gentlemen, we are, we're talking about the gospel Versus a different gospel. And, and so I may repeat myself four times. It's okay, at least. Because if there's anything that we got to get down right, it's this. Um, guys, I, I said those were fighting words. If, if there is any doubt in anybody's mind that the power of the gospel makes people mad then you need to read, you need to look more closely at, at, at your Bibles. Um, occasions, for instance, like Acts 19. You don't need to turn, I'll tell you the story. Um, you know, Paul's on, on these missionary journeys of his, and, and it starts in um, verse 21. Uh, he's on these missionary journeys, and he comes to Ephesus. And as you know, that Ephesus is dominated by the goddess Diana. Ha, <laughs> Artemis, you know. Anyway, so Paul comes in there preaching the gospel. And, and a guy by the name of Demetrius, who's a silversmith, uh, makes little statuettes of Diana. And he's making a great living at it. You know? So Paul comes preaching this thing, this, this thing that he's bringing and, and uh, kind of ruins his business. I mean, you can understand why he's mad. I mean, he's going to be unemployed. Because um, Paul, dad gumming, has brought this new thing in. This new thing that is completely different from everything that we've been told for, for, for eons. Um, and so Demetrius calls his buddies who are in the same trade as he's in. And um, they talk about it. And they say, listen, guys, you know, we're about to lose our businesses here because of that bad guy, Paul. And so they get all hot and bothered. And as a result, a riot ensues. I, I think you have perhaps read that before. They, they all head to the amphitheater and... And um, it seems like revivals and riots kind of go together in the New Testament, where there's a where there's a where the, where, where the gospel kind of sweeps in. Man, it makes people mad, and so they have this 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 riot. And most of the people in the amphitheater don't don't even know why they're there. In fact, the text says that. Why? What, what are we? What are we? What are we rioting against? But um, you know, Paul wants to go and set everybody straight, and. Um, 
They don't let him. His friends won't let him because they're, they, they think he's in danger. And so Paul <clears throat> doesn't. And then Alexander goes on his behalf, uh, representing him. And then the, the city clerk gets up and says, wait a minute, people. Why are y'all so hot and bothered about this? Listen, everybody knows that the goddess Diana is the real thing. This Paul's a schmo. <laughs> don't worry about him. <laughs> and they say, oh, okay. So they go home. That was it. This week I was, I was reading a book. In fact, last night I was reading a book. Um, um, well, I've been reading it all week. But uh, last night um, there was a, it's really a, kind of a commentary on the book of Acts. Kind of. <laughs> but the guy who writes this book, and, it, and he's, it's not a bad book. I, I wouldn't recommend you reading it, but um, it's somewhat of a waste of your time. But he, he makes, he makes um, allusion to this riot that takes place in Ephesus. And he, and he, he says some things that I thought were very good, and then, and, and then in a minute he goes off into a direction, and I, I'll get there in just a second. But basically what he says is, not, think about this. I mean, just, just think about it for a minute. He says, um, Paul, just by his presence and this message that he's got, called the gospel, um, incites a riot that is so powerful that the whole city of Ephesus gets swept on it, in it, and most of them have no idea why they're even there. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's power. When all you got to do is say a few things and the whole city erupts and let's go demonstrate. Wow, I don't know. We're just going to demonstrate <laughs> because I heard something about this guy saying something else. You know, it's, just, it's just crazy. Um, the ability to make people angry uh, without some kind of specific cause. I don't know why I'm angry. I'm just angry. You know what that does? It, it points to something that's much, much deeper that's going on here. When, when people get whipped up into a frenzy, just at the thought of you, that is, and you preaching this gospel thing, you can be sure that what you're proclaiming is something that is touching the the deepest foundations of people's lives, which is really what we're after with, with the Christian message, is it not? So then this, this author that I was reading, um, he said, maybe, maybe church success ought to be measured in how many riots erupt as a result of your preaching. I like that. I like that, but I've had no riots erupt, <laughs> so it kind of shames me, you know? But instead of counting nickels and noses, how many riots, how many riots got, um, got set in motion because of the proclamation of a simple, pure message called the gospel? You know, guys, I, 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 don't, I, I don't mean to take advantage of some kind of literary device but I think we are in a riot. And I think just about the entire world is rebelling against this thing called the gospel. They despise it. Nobody despises if you tell them that Jesus is a way. Nobody despises that. In fact, that'll be popular. But if you preach this gospel like Paul's preaching it, beginning in verse 6 and then following, oh, what you do is make people mad. Mad to the point that they vilify you. And, and you know that 
you silly, stupid Christians out there. You know that you're the real problem in our country and in the world today, don't you? And that's your fault because you hold to something, you know. You don't say that Jesus is a way. You say that Jesus is the way. There you go again. You're making me mad because of this gospel thing that you promote. Um, and, and I was right with this little author in this book. I was right with him. And then he took a left turn on me. And, and he, said, he said, you know, there's no real need to attack anybody else if you, if you truly believe in the power of the gospel. And what he's doing in this little chapter is he's using Paul as an example or as an illustration. He's saying, well, Paul didn't go over there to the amphitheater and he didn't, he didn't fight with any of those people over there. Uh, and see there, if you just believe in the power of the gospel, it's going to be fine and you don't have to do anything because, uh, you know, um, uh, you, you know that the power of the gospel can stand on its own, you know. Um, and, and then this author goes on to say, um, if what we offer is good enough, there's no need to disparage everyone else. Putting everyone else down just makes you look small and can do irreparable damage to what you hold dear. The gospel can stand on its own without your defense. The message is enough. Or do you doubt that God is powerful enough without your help? Well, you know, that, that, that kind of that upset me. Uh, because I, for one, at that moment, was impaled on the horns of a dilemma. Um... That, that author had painted me into a corner because if I come out swinging in defense of the gospel, am I by my so doing suggesting that God needs my help? Um, am I communicating, maybe implying, that the gospel is not powerful enough. This author said, if God and the gospel are as powerful as we claim, they can stand on their own. Now, guys, I draw your attention to all of that as we, as we begin this uh, very slow. Um, for this reason, Paul doesn't take that advice. When you see him coming out in, in what he does in verses 6, 7, 8, and 9, Paul is downright pugilistic in his defense of the gospel. He welcomes a fight. Um, you know, I said this earlier uh, in one of the back in the fall weeks. I said, neither passion nor precision are valued in our culture. And Paul uses them both. Passion and precision. 
You see, guys, um, if we um, make a statement about the truth of the gospel, then what we're also doing is making a statement about all the other claims to the gospel. Paul says, I marvel. I marvel that you people are so quickly carried away by that which is, he says it, a different gospel. You know there's a different one out there, don't you? There's one out there that's different than the one that you believe. Or maybe, maybe the one that I'm going to teach is the one that's going to be different from what you believe. I don't know. But guys, the issue from verse 6 forward throughout the rest of the book, the issue is which gospel is the gospel? Um, whose way to approach God is correct? Um, Paul very readily and unapologetically fights this different gospel. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm not making that up. You're going to see it in the text. He, he almost has a fist fight with Peter out in the public square. In the text. Um, why is it that Paul is so eager to fight this different gospel? Because, ladies and gentlemen, eternity hangs in the balance. You know, earlier in the book of Romans, in Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Well, tell me, which gospel is he not ashamed of? There's something he's not ashamed of. What is it? What is it that Paul's not ashamed of? Um, In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus comes uh, right from his baptism, and he's preaching what the text says is the gospel of the kingdom. What is that? Because, ladies and gentlemen, there's there's a competitor out there to that one. Uh, There's a statement in uh, Revelation chapter 14 where the angels are broadcasting what they call an everlasting gospel. What is that? Because there's a different gospel afoot. What's the one that Paul is not ashamed of? What's the one that's called everlasting? What is the one that Jesus brings that's called the gospel of the kingdom? That, that, That other gospel... Because, you know, there's a different one. He says so in verse 6. Whatever that thing is, look at at, at the text. Whatever that other thing is that's out there, it has a strong attraction to people. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon. That different gospel out there, it's so appealing. And so you quickly raced from 
the one that I'm not ashamed of, Paul says, to that other one, to that, to that, to that different one. Paul is flabbergasted that people are so drawn to this other gospel. And so am I. Flabbergasted. You know, guys, um, I read this, this quote before. It's a John MacArthur quote. I read it, oh, I guess in October or so. But MacArthur said this. He said, It seems that in the postmodern climate of our time, the church has adopted the idea that if disagreement over doctrine exists within the church... It is the one who sounds the alarm that is being divisive. But I disagree with that sentiment, says MacArthur. In the New Testament, a factious man was someone who taught doctrine contrary to what was handed down from the apostles. Calling for the correction of error in the church is not creating disunity. That disunity, that disunity exists by virtue of the doctrinal defection. In fact, it is the call for a return to sound doctrine that is the effort of true unity because real biblical unity centers on doctrinal truth and is motivated by love. You know, guys, um, for Paul, the opponent was Judaizers. I, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, the, the, it's spelled J-U-D-A-I-Z-E-R-S. Judaizers. Now, you can, maybe if I mispronounced it, correct me, please. But that was, that was his opponent. Paul's opponent. That's who, he's, that's who he's taking on here in the book of Galatians. For, for, for Luther, who we've talked so much about in here, Martin Luther, remember we spent the whole fall on the preface of Luther to the book of Galatians. For, for Paul, the opponent was Judaizers. For Luther, the opponent was Rome. The book of Galatians became, became Luther's dagger to plunge into the heart of the papacy. It was, um, the book of Galatians was Luther's battle axe in his unending war with Rome. Because Luther knew that there was a different gospel afoot too. Now, guys, um, Martin Luther is not God. He is not, I mean, he didn't get everything right. But he did get the main thing right. He, um, he discovered from really the book of, Refl- well, no, that he started out by teaching the book of Psalms. But from the book of Romans, this wonderful truth called the gospel. And that in this gospel, we are made right with a holy God. 
not through anything that we do, but through the work of Christ on our behalf. Christ takes away our sin and gives us, gives us his righteousness in its place. I want to read you something really as we close. This will probably take me 10 minutes. Um, and I know you hate to be read too. And by the way, I mean, we've, we've only just begun <laughs> because we're going to spend some time getting this thing down with precision as compared to this other thing called, or that he calls a different gospel. But Luther um, had a, a friend. This is hard to say. He was a friar friend. He was a friend who was a friar, um, not F-R-Y-E-R, F-R, that's for Melissa, she doesn't know up from down. Um, uh, this is F-R-I-A-R. Uh, he had a friend who was a friar, and his name was George. And um, to Friar George, Luther writes this. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is, this is somewhat lengthy. It's three paragraphs. And again, I know that the best pedagogy is not to read to people. But this is such rich stuff. And I've got so much of these little things in here that, I mean, not, it's not rich because I'm saying it. It's rich because Luther's saying it. Um, and I got a story about Whitfield um, that we can't get to it tonight. But, um, but Luther writes to his friend George, who is a friar, And um, this is what he says. I mean, to me, every sentence is worth savoring in this, this letter that he writes to Friar George. He says, I should be very glad to know what is the state of your soul. Is it not tired of its own righteousness? Is it yours? Aren't you tired of trying to be good enough to earn something? Is it not tired of its own righteousness? Does it, that is his soul, does it not breathe freely at last? And does it not confide in the righteousness of Christ? In our days... Pride seduces many, and especially those who labor with all their might to become righteous. Not understanding the righteousness of God that is given to us freely in Christ Jesus, they wish to stand before him on their own merits. But that cannot be. Four words. I'm not finished, but that cannot be. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand? That cannot be. It must not be. It must not be that you try to stand before him on your own merit. Well, but you know, Dr. Young, I got baptized. Be done with it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm glad you've been baptized. But that is not a meritorious deed to which you might point 
when you stand before him. Um, not understanding the righteousness of God that is given to us freely in Christ Jesus. They wish to stand before him on their own merits, but that cannot be. When you were living with me, he says to George, you were in that error. And so was I. I am yet struggling unceasingly against it. And I have not yet entirely triumphed over it. Isn't that true of us, ladies and gentlemen? In our default mode, don't we go back and like to think that the thing that has really made us acceptable to God is that we're better than those dadgum people down the street who cut their lawns and paint their house on Sunday while I'm over teaching Sunday school? I mean, don't you, don't you, don't you have to battle that, that whole thing about performance and, and your performance and it's better than their performance? And, 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 and Luther says, I'm struggling unceasingly against it and have not yet entirely triumphed over it. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not comfortable with grace. We'd much rather have something that have, has terms to it. We're, we're much more eager to do it the old-fashioned way. Earn it. Because heaven knows, I mean, <laughs> we're certainly not as bad as them. I mean, look at us. Here we are gathered in the church on a Wednesday night when, you know, the American Idol is on. Not us, though. We just got it DVR'd when we, so we can, you know, see it when we get home. Because we're much, we're much better than those people. He keeps going. Uh, that's one paragraph. I got two more, and then we'll quit. Oh, my dear brother. Listen to me. Oh, my dear brother and sister. Learn to know Christ and him crucified. (laughs) Learn to sing unto him a new song. To despair of yourself. And say to him, Thou, Lord Jesus Christ, art my righteousness, and I am thy sin. Thou hast taken what was mine, and has given me what was thine. Do you get that? What thou wast not, thou didst become. You know what he became, don't you? He became sin. What thou wast not, thou didst become, in order that I might become what I was not. Beware, my dear George, of pretending to such purity as no longer to confess yourself a sinner. For Christ dwells only with sinners. Aren't we glad? He came down from heaven where he was living among the righteous in order to live among sinners. Meditate carefully upon this love of Christ and you will taste all its unspeakable consolations. 
If our labors and afflictions could give peace to the conscience. Do you get this? If our labors and afflictions could give peace to the conscience, why should Christ have died? You will not find peace save in him. By despairing of yourself and of your works, and in learning with what love he opens his arms to you, taking all your sins upon himself, and giving to thee all his righteousness. <laughs> Folks, Luther didn't get everything right. But he got the gospel right. And what I've just read you in three paragraphs is a summation. It's an it's a intricate summation of the wonder of the gospel. Paul is about to take on the whole establishment as he opens in verse 6 by saying, I can't believe this. I can't believe that you're so quickly moved into something that is another gospel. But oh, ladies and gentlemen, that other gospel, it has such an attraction. Because it tells us that there's something that we can contribute to the overall finished work of Christ and eventually save ourselves by our righteousness. And that's the different gospel. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, the only people on the face of the planet who don't believe that gospel are people who believe this gospel. It's a different gospel, ladies and gentlemen, and then there will be no peace of conscience for you at all. The only peace comes is when we immerse ourselves in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Go meditate on that, says Luther. Let's quit. Our Father, I pray that you will um, bless these people by giving them a pastor who will get the gospel right and if he's not getting it right, Lord, would you take him from the scene? Would you remove him? Would you expunge his influence? But Father, might, um, might the gospel that is called the everlasting gospel, the one that Jesus preached, the one about which Paul said, I am not ashamed, might that become second nature to our souls? Might it be to us like breathing in and breathing out? Might that be the place where we find our refuge and our peace in the finished work of Jesus Christ imputed to undeserving sinners like me? Now, Father, dismiss us and, and um, thrill us all over again with the great beauty of the gospel. And we ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and good night.